0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Revelation. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to continue tonight in our study of Revelation. We're back, back in Revelation. You can turn in your Bibles there, chapter 6. It's going to get real tonight, okay? Just giving you a warning. Revelation 6 all the way through Revelation 19. It's, uh, it's heavy, okay? But the good news is we've, our hope is in Jesus, amen? And so we know how all these things turn out. Revelation 6, Turning your Bibles there. As you're turning there, we've got a new Calvary magazine out. There's a stack on the back table. There's some out on the connect board as well. Looks like down below, there are some left over from the last round, and they don't belong here. So please take them, read them, distribute them, leave them somewhere. Not going to do any good collecting dust here. So the new copy, lots of cool stuff in here, especially around things that were happening, uh, significant things in California throughout the time of the, the lockdowns there. And so... Um, Calvary Magazine is always a great way to stay connected to uh, all that's going on throughout the Calvary Chapel movement. All right. And then a uh, reminder, a couple of conferences coming up. One we haven't publicized much in light of the fact that we've got the one in Aiken next week. But for those that may be interested, Calvary Chapel um uh, this Friday evening is for students and youth leaders, and then all day Saturday um, is available to the rest of the general population. But it is a conference, so just over in Irmo, and it is specifically geared towards uh, issues within the LGBTQ community. Patty Height from Out of Egypt Ministries is going to be there. She's uh, really... um, Speaking and sharing during this conference. Uh, she's got a pretty awesome ministry. And so, if that's something that's of particular interest, concern, uh, you're affected by it in some way, um, I encourage you, if you have Saturday available, by all means, go on over there and check it out. And then the conference the following week in Aiken, the In His Image conference that we've been talking about, is Friday evening and Saturday. And that's a little bit, it's going to deal with some of the same issues. In fact, Patty Hype from Out of Egypt is going to be there as well. Um, But we're going to delve into a number of different areas. So everything from uh, LGBTQ to aspects of ethnic reconciliation to social justice, all the hot topics are being covered during that In His Image conference. And so um, either one, there's still uh, openings there. You can register and be a part of that. If you're going to the Aiken conference and you sign up through the app, just make sure that you check if you're interested in dinner, carpool. I think there's a couple of choices on there just to make sure that we know who's going And try and facilitate transportation if that's something you're looking for. Okay? All right, let's jump into Revelation here. Uh, As I mentioned, as we pick back up in Revelation 6, uh, we are still in the throne room of heaven. This is where John is at. And the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy, has the scroll in his hand. And he's going to open the seals on the scroll. This is, this is where we're at. The scroll, as we discussed in Revelation chapter 5, may contain... We don't know all of the details of what's in this scroll. Um, general consensus is that it likely contains really the culmination of earth's history. And then everything that is yet to unfold, which leads up to Christ's second coming and his reign upon the earth followed then by a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if the scroll, as we considered last time, has the significance that it did in Jewish culture, maybe it is the title deed to the earth, lost there at the fall of man uh, in the garden of eden wherein only a qualified redeemer can open it and so we certainly it seems see some cool imagery that's pulled from jewish custom there in the throne room of heaven and so it's likely a combination of these things jesus being the only one who's worthy to take this scroll from the hand of god And the church is present in the throne room of heaven. Praise God for that. Because as I've mentioned, what we are going to see unfold is pretty heavy. Um, Tonight, in some respects, isn't exactly a feel-good message, right? But if your hope is in Jesus, then in many respects it it is. But it's hard. It's hard for us to consider some of the things that are coming as we as we begin to look and understand Revelation. If if it does nothing to you, if if it if, if you just sort of read through it and hear it and and there's no emotion, no response, that's reason to check your heart because these things are are are, are heavy. Um, it's difficult for us to consider what. Sort of destruction and judgment is going to come upon the earth uh, and and so as I mentioned, the church we believe, I believe, is in the throne room of heaven at this time. It's important to understand that we take the view of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now, I know that there are many different views on this. Some have the view that that there's no rapture really at all. Um, some that there's a rapture that takes place during the middle of the tribulation. Some after the tribulation. Uh, we take the view that there is a pre-tribulation, meaning before the seven-year tribulation that comes upon the world, the church, God's church, will be raptured, taken out of here. Uh, we, we draw much of this from the letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, specifically the first letter in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. Uh, Paul there is talking about uh, the wrath that those on earth will experience during the time of the tribulation. But we know that Paul talks about the rapture in that letter, but he talks about it before that day. You actually have to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, before the day of the Lord. And so that's one of the things that we believe gives us insight into the fact that we will be taken out before these events start to happen. And I think that aligns with what we see in Revelation as they're the letter to the churches. Those end in chapter 3 and chapters 4 and 5. John has been taken into the throne room of heaven as he now starts to see these events of the tribulation unfold. One more indication, a parallel, if you will, that shows, hey, his church is going to be removed before these events happen. So having been raptured then, the church is in heaven prior to the opening of the seals and will not be on earth during this time, during the time of the tribulation. So then from chapters 6 all the way through 19, we have the period of the tribulation. So we're going to be in this now for several chapters. Now this time, the, the tribulation is called that. It's the time of the tribulation. It's also called the day of the Lord. It's also referred to in scripture as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah the prophet refers to that in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It says also Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9 27. And so we're seeing fulfillments from Old Testament books happening during this time. And we're going to see here in chapter 6, the first of six seals opened. Seven seals in total on this scroll. We're going to deal with the first six tonight. Then in chapter 7, we're going to see a little bit of a pause. It's almost a a parentheses. Uh, we're going to see some events that are happening that are sort of set within these events, and then chapter eight will jump back into the seventh seal. Okay, and from the seventh seal, when the seventh seal is opened, comes seven trumpets, and then we're going to have some more pauses. And from the seventh trumpet, then we'll see the seven bowls poured out of God's wrath. So there is a successive building that we're going to see happen over these next several chapters. These happen largely in chronological order with the exception of some of those parenthetical chapters. It's almost like we'll pause for a moment and then we'll look back at a couple of things or we'll look deeper into some events to see what's happening and then take a step back and look at the broader uh, picture. And, uh, and so we're going to see pauses like that in chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 10. Chapters 12 through 14, chapter 16, a little bit in chapter 17 through 19. So I'm going to do my best as we go through this to say, okay, here's where we're at. Now we're jumping back a little bit. Or now we're going in deeper a little bit. There's going to be 21 judgments in total. Okay, so the time of tribulation on the earth, the seven years of tribulation is going to see 21 different aspects of God's judgment being poured out on the earth. And we know based off of Jesus' own words that this is going to be a time unlike anybody has ever seen in the history of the world. And so you can think back, you can look to the history books and you can reflect on what we've seen happen in our world history up to this point. And there have been incredible atrocities. There have been very, very dark times in our world's history. And the fact is all of them will pale in comparison to what's going to happen during this time of tribulation. That's so why I say this is a very difficult thing when you consider much of what's going to happen. And then here in chapter 6, at the beginning, with the opening of the first four seals, we are introduced to what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Anybody ever heard of that four? The four horsemen of the apocalypse? Okay. This is where it comes from. The four horsemen has been kind of adopted and, and, and brought into other cultural elements, even like football and things like that. Some people have adopted this phraseology of the four horsemen. And, and it being that there's these you know four very uh, oppressive and powerful individuals that wreak havoc on something. And, and, and it's, its understanding is captured from here in Revelation 6. Now, it's generally agreed upon that these horsemen are symbolic of events that are happening on the earth. And they serve as really the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Um, Let's look back for a moment at uh, Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, these are the words of Jesus. It's here as he sits on the Mount of Olives, In verse 3 of Matthew 24, that the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will... abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And from there, Jesus continues on to speak of details of the great tribulation from verse 15 on really the second half, the second three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. And, uh, And so Jesus himself begins to give insight. And of course, as we read that, we can't help but think, man, some of these things we see even happening now, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, these things are happening, and they're only going to grow worse. What will unfold with the opening of the seals, the first four seals? First, we're going to see uh, an image of the Antichrist, the Antichrist who will bring peace for a time, but it will be short-lived. From there, war, then famine, then death. This is the first four seals. And the entirety of this, what we're beginning to read here, is what we read about in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel 9, it's referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. In Daniel 9, beginning in verse 24, this is a prophecy that has come to him. We read, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, weeks here functioning as a longer period of time, this time here that Daniel writes of already in the past. This has already found its fulfillment in Jesus coming and entering into Jerusalem and being crucified and resurrected. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the 70th week of Daniel. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even till the consummation which is determined is poured out. On the desolate. This 70th week of Daniel captures the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist coming at the beginning of that time and being a world leader that the world will be happy to follow. We'll consider more of that here in a moment and throughout the rest of this study. And halfway through that time, three and a half years through, we'll see the abomination of desolation when that world leader that many have gathered around rallied behind shows his true colors and sets himself up to be worshipped in the temple which will usher in the second period of tribulation which many refer to as the great tribulation in which the destruction that comes during that time will be even greater than the beginning that we consider here tonight we're going to go over all of this regularly so if it sounds like a lot we'll come back to it again and it's 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 a sobering thing to think about because the words of Jesus there in Matthew 24, verse 8, before even the, the period of great tribulation, Jesus says all these events are the beginning of birth pains. And so even what we read about here tonight is just the beginning. In chapter 6, verse 1, Now I saw... When the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures. So these are the four angelic creatures that are there around the throne. Saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. So the instruction is for John to come and observe here what's happening. It's a voice like thunder. Thunder we see is a warning of a storm that is coming. In verse 2, and I, John writes, and I looked and behold a white horse he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer so here's the first thing that happens following the removal of the church from the earth and the tribulation that is carried out on the earth that comes from the wrath of God, and it's the Antichrist, This is the first seal. Now, some throughout history have looked at this character and have suggested that this is Jesus, largely because it's an individual who's wearing a crown who's on a white horse, and we see a similar, but not really, description in Revelation 19. This is not Jesus. This is not the second coming. Now, again, some think this because the individual is on a white horse, has a crown, is coming to conquer. They think this has got to be Jesus, but it doesn't fit within the timeline. This is the one who will deceive. This is the Antichrist who will come and lead people astray. Those who take a historical view of Revelation, who say that the events of Revelation have already happened, they see this as Jesus or they see this as Roman rulers. But those that take a future-fulfilling prophetic view, we see this as the Antichrist. Let's compare it for a moment. In Revelation 19 in verses 11 through 16, we read, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. And and so this rider that we see here in Revelation 6 this rider has a bow there's no mention of arrows it could be that he's holding the bow in a non-offensive position speaking of peace no differently than how God laid down his bow in the form of a rainbow after the flood saying it's done and so he comes with the promise of peace there's no sword the rider was given a crown Okay, so in Revelation 6, the writer is given a crown. This in the Greek is the Stephanos crown, which means it's a victor of the games. A lot of times such a crown would be a garland or a wreath of some form. But Jesus doesn't receive a crown from anyone. He's wearing them, many of them. And he's wearing diadem crowns which speak of royalty. It's to communicate that in fact he is king of kings and lord of lords. And what his conquering results in, the conquering of this ruler in chapter 6, while it brings peace for a moment, ultimately it's not consistent with Christ's second coming. What we see in Christ's second coming there in Revelation 19 and following is an, is an absolute defeat of the world's armies and establishment of his rule forever. And so this is the Antichrist. Remember, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica once again in the second letter, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. He says, don't be deceived. And that's what this person's intention is going to be. Matthew 24 verses 4 and 5, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So those who remain on earth during this time, many will not believe the truth, but they will believe the lie. And they will celebrate the Antichrist for a time. We've often used this analogy. It's a good one to use in a variety of places. But what's the best way to spot counterfeit money? Should you know all of the different counterfeits? No. Know what the real thing looks like. There's always going to be counterfeits. They're going to keep producing them over and over and over again. You can't keep up with all the different counterfeits. But if you know well the real thing, you'll spot a counterfeit anytime. Know the word of God. Spend time with Jesus. And don't worry that you're going to be led astray. If you know him and you know his word. You'll spot a fake from a mile away. And so here then. You know, there's, there's people unbelievably on the earth during this time that are not believing the truth, continuing to believe the lie, and they're going to celebrate the Antichrist for a time. And, and towards the beginning, I say unbelievably, but towards the beginning, based off of what we see happening in our world today, we can sort of get a sense as to why some people are taken by the Antichrist at first. Because he's going to promise peace on earth, and people want peace, right? And these promises are going to be supposedly fulfilled. People are going to see some things happening and, and, and they're going to blame the Christians who are gone, saying they were the problem. They haven't figured out where they went yet, right? Where are we? Where, where'd they go? Well, I don't know. Aliens took them. But they were the problem. You see, now that they're gone, we can experience peace. They were so divisive. So blame the Christians that are gone. And he'll conquer the conquerors. He'll take hold of the hearts of mankind, deceiving them. But his reign... Will only give way to war. Verse 3 When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So we see here that there was evidence of peace on the earth for a time, but now it's taken from them and war enters in. Now, if you're one who wants to talk a little bit more about the Antichrist, it's coming, okay? We're dealing with the seals here tonight. There's there's future chapters that deal more specifically with the Antichrist in his rule. And so now the peace is gone with the second seal. The promise of peace was there. Everything seemed great under this new world leader but then the second seal is opened, sending the horseman who brings war to the earth. Now think of the condition of our world today. Look at how, how quickly war has come upon Europe. And so this is causing, and, and, and right now, of course, and you're probably involved in it, and you're reading some of it, and you're seeing some of it, it's creating discussion around what's happening right now, right? And, and there are some people who are saying, we're in the time of the tribulation now. And then the soon the Antichrist will emerge in a promise of peace, and a one world order. And, and certainly the talk of these things is happening and rightfully so. I think the time is ripe. And, but what I would say to you is that right now what we're seeing gives us an understanding of how the stage is set for it all. I don't believe that we're living in the time of the tribulation currently, but I believe that what's happening around us gives us full understanding, perhaps more so than even a few years ago or certainly decades ago, as to how can these things really happen. It was a long time ago that, that people maybe wondered, how, how is it that, that we could all of a sudden decide to have a one world government and a one world order? And, and how is it that we could all of a sudden be telling everybody in the world that you have to do this one thing? Or otherwise, you won't be able to go here or go there or buy this or sell this. Well, it's all happening right in front of us. And so we can see how these events, and and certainly what's going on in in Europe right now, how these events can start to make a way for people to say, okay, enough is enough. We need someone who can bring us all together. We can see how the stage is set for it. But I don't think we're going to be here for that. I think first that the church is going to be gone, raptured. And that in and of itself is going to shake up the world. So you're going to have this disappearance of, of, of a significant group of people. And then you have, continue to have wars and pandemic and financial instability. And the world's going to have enough. And they're going to rally behind a charismatic leader who promises peace. But that peace is temporary. And violence comes stronger than ever before. With worldwide war then comes famine. And we see in the third seal, verse five, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so because then, of the war on the earth, resources will be scarce. They already are through much of the world. You know, when our friends come from Ethiopia, when Argo was was uh, here the last time, Rachel and Argo, and uh, he was on the phone with somebody one morning sitting at our house and we just finished up breakfast. It's always a joy when they come and stay with us. And, and he gets on the phone with one of his friends uh, uh, friends back in ethiopia and and they're talking and i overhear him. He says oh yeah, everything's going great i'm in the land of plenty and it's just like wow you know and that's that's what and every time i go to africa i mean that's all the questions from those who have never been to the states and the very first time i went to africa and i was i was young and naive and man i was ready to just bring all my buddies back and one of them in particular, he was like, his his name was James. And, and he was like, I want to go. Can we go? Can you make this happen? And inside I'm thinking, maybe we can. I feel like I got to get you out of here, right? And of course, somebody intervened and was like, listen, dude, you can't do that. You can't just like throw him on the plane with you and bring him back. And then there was another guy there uh, who had been working in the ministry that we were a part of. And this was back in 2005, 2004 into 2005. I was there over New Year's. And he had had the opportunity to to make one of the trips back to the States for one of the conferences, and it ruined him. he went back to Ethiopia, man. He just, he couldn't couldn't get over it. He just, he he, he, he left the ministry. It just just ruined him. And so there was actually more of an opinion of, of the guys that we've got faithfully serving in the ministry over here, don't bring them to the States. It just messes them up. A land of plenty. And so we know that this, this scarcity exists on, on really the vast majority of our planet. The resources are so consolidated. Famine is known to many in the world today, just not us. And so the scale here of this rider, is a, this is a scale, like weighing the, the scales. And, and the scale is a symbol of scarcity and the need to measure and to ration. Because that's what it's going to be like. And this is just in the first couple of years of the time of the tribulation. And so what is essentially being said here, especially as they say, uh, wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, what this is communicating here is that it's going to be a day's wage for you just to buy enough bread to eat. Work all day for some bread. Little to nothing more. I just read the other day that, that uh, if you didn't get your order in for a new Ford Bronco, you're done for a couple years. Sorry to disappoint, okay? I know there was many in you here that were trying to get your order in for a new Ford Bronco. They're pretty sweet, actually. I kind of like them. The only one left is it is, starts at 70000 okay? So just so you know, why do I mention that? Because right now, everybody... And, and this is, it, it, am I not alone in wondering, like, okay, everywhere I go in our community right now, what do I see on the windows of every business? Hiring. Right? Everywhere I go, hiring, hiring, hiring. And then you go, you try and go to a restaurant. God bless them. Anybody, and if some of you are here and I don't know it, and you're working faithfully at a restaurant, and you're, like, doing your shift and you're doing your thing, praise the Lord. The way that people are working. And you go in and you see, I, we, we went to Olive Garden. And this was, a, this was a little while ago. And I walk in, and I'm like, and it was just the boys. The ladies were doing something. It was a church thing, right? And I'm like, well, we're going to go to Olive Garden. Let's do it. I had gift cards from, from one of you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. And, and we go in there. We're going to use these gift cards. And, and they said, it's going to be an hour and a half. And I'm like, an hour and a half? There's just three of us. I know I'm a big guy. but And I look around, and I'm not trying to be rude. I'm, really, I'm like, hey, just, I see a lot of open tables. So like, are we tracking? And she's like, she's like, yeah, because there's like two waiters. So we can only seat what's here to work. I'm like, oh man, hey, I hope you have an awesome night. <laughs> we're going to go somewhere else, right? So that's happening. And nobody's supposedly going to work, but yet we're selling out of $70,000 cars. And what's happening with houses? Listen, you want to you sell your house right now? Boom, sell it. Try to buy one. That's another story, right? We, I think we're all seeing like what's happening here. And so that in and of itself causes us a little bit to just kind of go, hmm, this is interesting. I don't know that I have a prophetic application on that for you. But what I will say is that in a moment, none of that matters. None of it. We will see in such a ridiculously short period of time that all the things that so many in the world have been pursuing and chasing after. You're going to have four Broncos sitting everywhere and everybody's going to be like, I don't care. Burn it. Maybe it'll make a good fire for tonight. You have some bread. I'll give you my house. If you have some food. This is what's going to come. Come. So housing, utilities, cars, entertainment, the general population is going to be reduced to basic necessity and survival. And it's hor- it's horrible really to think about what's going to be happening. How does all this happen? Famine like this, how does it happen? War we know wipes out resources. It wipes out resources it does whether because they're destroyed or whether the things that are, or the people that were producing the resources are now unavailable, reallocated, whatever the case may be. And GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Most of our crops today, they don't have the ability to reproduce on their own. I'm not making a statement about GMO or non-GMO, okay? That's, I'm just saying this is, so we have like one year of grain reserve in our country. Look at what happens to the availability of crops when there's a frost. Look at what's happened through the COVID pandemic. I mean, we're not even talking about global famine. And, and just the other day, we went to Walmart, and they said, no, we don't have any chicken breasts. I'm like, "Yeah, you, you got chicken breasts. It's Walmart. No, we don't have any. You mean you don't have that brand? No, we don't have any. None. Zippo. Chicken breasts. Gone. We'll be back in sometime. Went to Smoothie King. Love it. Right? I have peanut butter. Sorry no peanut butter. What? We don't know when it's going to be in. We have almond butter. No. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't say that to me. (laughs) It's a good alternative. No. It's like the person who tried to give me kombucha instead of a soda. (laughs) It's great. It's the same. No, it's not. Look, guys, I mean this. I don't be dramatic here, but do we see how quickly some of these things happen? And it happens a little bit today, and we're kind of like, oh, that's weird. But it should cause us to look at this and maybe again, like some have done in the past, who look at this and go, I don't know that I can really grasp that. We can get it. This can happen quickly. And it says here this statement, and a lot of people have debated this, do not harm the oil and the wine. And really, this Most people believe, I would agree, that this is really saying not all resources will be gone. There will be some resources, but they're the finer commodities, and so if you can't really get bread, you're not getting that. Maybe there's going to be a few people who have that. With war then, and so here's the thing, you have the promise of peace, you have deception, which gives way to war, which gives way to famine, and then what follows? Death. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. Following the Antichrist war and famine will come death. He comes on a pale horse, which can be translated, the real translation here of pale is ashen green. It's the color of a rotting corpse. It's the color of death. And here we see that with death comes a quarter of the earth's population that will die, whether by sword, hunger, even the beasts of the earth The most recent consensus of the world's population is that we're a little—we're just about eight billion now, seven, seven billion nine hundred fifty-three million, et cetera, et cetera. We're we're almost to eight billion, and so let's assume that in in the time between now and then, we hit eight billion. We're talking about two billion people gone. That's all of Africa and North America. At once. Now that this is one of those heavy things, right? Especially not knowing what of what of their salvation. We can't forget that, that Jesus said, For then shall be great tribulation. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is just the beginning of the seven-year period. This is what carries us to the next 12 chapters. Chapter 8, will see further death. Such that during the tribulation between both of those waves, half of the world's population will be taken. But as much as Jesus gives us insight into the truth of what's going to happen during these days, let's not forget also what Jesus encourages in Matthew 10, verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's an interesting thing here that it says that death comes and Hades follows with him. That's the real death to fear. But for those who are in Christ... There's great hope. Knowing that yes, there are some who will die. And will die even a martyr's death. But they'll die in Christ. And that's what we see then in the next seal. In the fifth seal, we see the cry of the martyrs. He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. The souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now these here are either those who are killed during the tribulation for their faith, or all of the martyrs to this point whose blood has yet to be avenged. I tend to think that these are the martyrs that come from the time of the tribulation uh, because they just show up and they, and they reference those who should be judged, maybe indicating that they are on the earth. But it could be a combination, nothing to be dogmatic about. But it's important to understand this idea of martyrdom because we're so unfamiliar with it. Open Doors International reported that in, 2000, in 2021, there was 4,761 Christians that were martyred throughout the world. These are people who were simply killed because they love Jesus. This does not account, mind you, for countries like North Korea and Afghanistan, in which we have very little insider information into. And so we can assume that the number is is certainly higher than almost 4,800 just in that one year. And they expect that it's going to rise again in our current year. The voice of the martyrs are crying out, and here in the throne room of heaven, they're crying out, how long, O Lord? And what they're seeking here is not vengeance, but divine justice. This is a good desire on their part. And note that they're crying out to Lord. This word Lord here is showing us that there's an element here of surrender. There's an element of trust. It should beg the question for us, what are our own longings for justice? What are the things that maybe we're thinking, Lord, how long? How long, Lord, until this or that is taken care of? And what is the answer that they're given? As they cry out, how long, O Lord? We see, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Really, two things that they're encouraged in here, or rather two things that we can glean from this. One, there will be more martyrs that much is made clear. There will be more who die this way. But two, rest until the time comes. Trust me. Right? We see incredible insight here into the uh, absolute sovereignty of our God, who will do precisely what he means to do when he means to do it. And this is a call for all of us, even independent of an aspect of martyrdom, to really trust that God is in control. God's in control. He knows. He's not telling them, hey, your your death doesn't matter. He's not saying, hey, don't worry about it. No, he clothes them in a robe of white. He recognizes their great sacrifice. He welcomes them in and he encourages them to rest. And he says, I know. I'm going to take care of it. In time, just rest, just wait, just trust me. From here we see the sixth seal. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And so with the sixth seal, we're going to see incredible cosmic events That will unfold on the earth. There will be really here absolute cosmic destruction. It's going to be like a worldwide meltdown that's happening. And for some people they look at this and they say see this is all that stuff the revelation talks about. the, the, The sun being black his sackcloth of hair. Remember John here is seeing things and he's doing his best to describe these things based off of what he knows. So to him he's like it's like a sackcloth of hair all over the sun. I can't hardly see it anymore. And ask anybody who's been in a volcanic eruption or go and research it online, what happens when that much ash and lava are spraying all over the place? We've seen blood moons over the past couple of years. We've seen red moons, right? We've experienced the sun being blotted out for a moment. These are not far-fetched things. Earthquakes. There are over eight thousand reported earthquakes per year around the world. Yeah, and recently in Elgin. Did you know we were on a fault line? Right? I mean, these earthquakes can happen. And again, volcanic activity probably that comes from these massive earthquakes, ash and lava, it could be that there's great meteor showers. So he's describing these things. He's like, it's like the wind and the figs when I see the figs fall, but these are like stars coming down, right? And meteor shower, asteroids, maybe that contributes to more of the destruction that's happening on the earth. The sky receding, this guy can't recede. Look up, just Google images for uh, incredible storm clouds and tell me how many you come across that look exactly like a scroll rolling up. They're right there. I didn't have time. I was going to throw one on the screen tonight. I just didn't get to it. should have. It would have made it better. And so these things, these, it's not difficult for us to imagine these things. And then here in verses 15 and 16, In the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now look at this here. Those on the earth will want to hide. They will be longing to be spared from the wrath of the Lamb. This is what's crazy to me. Because first off here, it appears that they know that this is the wrath of the Lamb. But rather than cry out to Him, rather than cry out for mercy, rather than say, okay, you are God, they pray to the mountains. Fall on us. This is the blindness of unbelief. This is the foolishness of man. To a T. We're in heaven rejoicing in his presence. And they're trying to hide from his face. Instead of repenting. And this starts to give you then insight as much as we, I'm not saying to be callous towards it, but as much as we go, man, this is going to be horrible. How can we possibly even be worshiping God under these circumstances? Well, we can trust that he is absolutely just, that he desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That he has been about now for thousands of years in pursuit of all of his creation. And that ultimately some are just flat out going to reject him. Secondly, the thing we see here is that the tribulation is an equalizer. Right? You're king one day, and you're hiding in the rocks with a slave the next, crying out that you both be dead. Once again, bringing into perspective some of the things that we focus on here and now that are just simply not going to matter in time. As much as we talk and we should. And as much as people long to see aspects of equality accomplished in moments, all are going to be brought to the same level. And then finally, here's a question I would ask for you about this specific scene or all of them together. Does this sound like something for his church? Does this sound like? Does this sound like something that He desires to bring upon those He died for, received Him? We intended for such wrath. There are some I, I, I know, some that I know I'll be together with in eternity. Who say, "Yeah, we're going to go through all this." First Thessalonians. 5 verse 9 tells me God has not, us, has not appointed us to wrath to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I just don't believe that's for us. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? The great day of his wrath has come. That's what's being described here and it's gonna continue to unfold. And he says, who can stand? And the answer is those who trust in Jesus. That's who. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 1 Corinthians fifteen one. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand. 1 Peter 5.12, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Ephesians 6.13 and 14, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Those that are in him will. question is where are you standing today where are you standing we're either going to be standing with him in salvation worshiping him in the throne room of heaven or standing before him at judgment which is it and here's what we need to understand about all of this all of this wrath that's being poured out on the earth and what will come we've yet to read about it's all released as he, Jesus, the only one, the Lamb of God, opens the seals. Which means that all of this is under his sovereign control. He will enact judgment. That is clear. But he will meter it out with the greatest precision, precisely as he means to. And our lives are entirely in his control. And as much as we can look at this and we should, we should be overwhelmed by what we see unfolding here in Revelation. We can trust that he will bring about these events in his perfect time. That his perfect justice will be accomplished. And that a God who is faithful and compassionate and merciful and loving and gracious to a thousand generations, who's not willing that any would perish, will only bring this about when his perfect time has been accomplished. And the amazing thing is that between now and then, he said, I want to use you to tell more of who I am and what I've done. And, and here's the other thing. For those that think, okay, now we're going into this time and and, and, and is he really, is he really merciful? Well, come back next week. Yeah, I suppose a little teaser there, but but we, we go into chapter 7, and here, here's a little bit of a spoiler for you. Chapter 7, verse 9. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches and their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here what we begin to see is how there there are those who during this time come to faith. How he's faithful to his chosen people, Israel. And so yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is gracious. Yes, he's also just. Once again, where are we standing? Are we standing on his word, are we standing in Christ, in him? Or on shaky foundations made from the things of this world? All right, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for our time together tonight. Lord, truly, as we consider these things, they're humbling, Lord. Um, they are uh you keep using this word heavy because some of this stuff, Lord, is heavy upon us when we consider it, especially, Lord, as we should when we think of those we, we love and when we look at those created in your image who are, um, who are blind, Lord, and, and in disobedience. And, and so, Lord, with this, just give us a heart, Lord, for the lost, a reminder, Lord, of your faithfulness, and your care for us, of your justice, of your mercy, Lord, of your goodness, your, your grace, Lord, your faithfulness, your compassion, uh, remind us, Lord, of who you are, and uh, Lord, that we can trust in you, and to bring about your perfect plan, uh, you'll complete it, Lord, you'll finish that work, and uh, for us, Lord, to just rejoice in what we have in you, what a what a, what a a promise, Lord, it is to know that we'll be with you, and uh, that you've not appointed us for wrath, but, Lord, we love you and praise you, we thank you for our time together this evening, Lord, once again, our desire is that it's pleasing to you and fruitful for us. And uh, or may your spirit continue to, to work such that uh, those ends would be achieved. We love you and thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you're subscribed to the weekly e so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit our website at ccnortheast.org.